Often, when good women call out or are subjected to bad behaviour, the reprisals, backlash and commentary portrays them as the bad ones. The liar, the troublemaker, the emotionally unstable or weak, or someone who should be silenced. To those who say politics is not for the faint-hearted and that women have to toughen up, I say this. The hallmark characteristics of the Australian woman, and I've met thousands of them, be they in my local community, in politics, business, the media or sport, are resilience and a strong, authentic, independent spirit. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. When Liberal MP Julia Banks quit the Morrison government in 2018, her resignation was cited as an example of the hostile environment for women in parliament and the challenges for women at the very top of politics. But Banks' story and her resignation happened to coincide with a landmark report, Respect at Work. That report and the changes it recommended languished, but are now finally coming into effect and, in theory, should change the workplace for women. Today, former politician Julia Banks on the report she watched be pushed aside and her hope that this year it's finally going to change our workplaces for the better. It's Thursday, January 19. Julia, I thought we could start by going back to 2018 when you were a Liberal MP who had decided to quit. And the reason that you gave at the time was the cultural and gender bias, bullying and intimidation of women in politics. So four years on from that moment, when you reflect on on the decision that you made, what do you think? And and just how bad was that environment at that time? Yeah, well, it was a a two-stage process when I quit. The first stage was it was immediately after the leadership coup against Malcolm Turnbull, where Scott Morrison took over the leadership as Prime Minister. And I advised that I was not going to recontest the next election. Morrison didn't like that decision, didn't like a number of decisions that I made at that time, but tried very hard to persuade me to change my mind. But I went ahead with it. Under Morrison's leadership, I was put through basically a systematic takedown. So even from his first press conference, it was basically three months of taking me through what I call the sexist spectrum, anything from being the weak petal right through to the troublemaker, you know, to the bully bitch. It was it was extraordinary and uh, particularly from the Murdoch press were obviously weaponised with all this backgrounding and gaslighting. So I made the decision then. If I was to exit this place, I was going to exit on my terms. That was a principled decision and not in terms of the way I'd been painted. And it was during your time in Parliament that the Respect at Work report was commissioned, although it, it took a long time for it to be released and and then for its recommendations to actually be taken on board. Can you talk me through that? Yeah, sure. So on the back of the Me Too movement in 2017, which had global ramifications around the world, and one of the outcomes of that was under the Turnbull government the Respect at Work report was commissioned by the Turnbull government. It was undertaken by the Sex Discrimination Commissioner and submitted in 2020, which by then was under the Morrison government. Across all parliamentary workplaces, 
40% of women have been sexually harassed compared to 26% of men. Women we spoke to told us they felt lucky when they had not directly experienced sexual harassment or sexual assault. Now, it was languishing on the desks of the coalition under Morrison's leadership. Like anyone who works in this building, I, I find the statistics that are presented there, of course, appalling and disturbing. I wish I found them more surprising. Um, but I find them just as appalling. And it was really only brought out and talked about amidst the public controversy that was emanating in 2020 with a cascade of events in regard to the treatment of women. And then when they finally did come about to implementing it, they only noted they didn't enact. There were 55 recommendations and they, they only noted the positive duty on the employer. They shelved that and put it away. The Albanese government met their commitment to implement all 55 recommendations and enact that as law at the end of last year, which is currently being rolled out in 2023. So when you look back, you know, on that period of time when Scott Morrison was in power and the Respect at Work report was kind of sitting there languishing and not much was being done, what do you kind of notice now when you think about the tenor of the conversation around women's rights at work? Well, one thing that really came to the fore was the use of gender stereotypes by Morrison himself and indeed his government. In the midst of this controversy about the treatment of women, these things happen to our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers. You know, it's been going on a long time and, you know, that doesn't rest at the foot of any one government or one individual or anything like this, but as Prime Minister... Morrison was actually asked about the workplace culture, which he led. You know, blokes don't get it right all the time. We all know that. Mm. And, but, but what and then he's, we, he's sort of laughed and signed off with... And I'm just glad the footy's back on, <laughs> too. Yeah. That helps everybody, it's, I think. It's a bit uh, away from what we've been doing. It was just an extraordinary thing to say. It was it was so much his sort of modus operandi that distractions are better than solutions. It was a classic distraction using gender stereotypes. Another one was when he said, of all times, he said it at an International Women's Day event, we want to see women rise, but we don't want to see women rise um, only on the basis of others doing worse. You know, that statement on International Women's Day attracted global headlines for all the wrong reasons. Those gender stereotypes is what makes the whole context of sexual harassment a really endemic thing in workplaces. So it's, it's very much up to the leadership of any organisation, not only to make the meaningful change, but to be part of that change and to recognise these issues. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, 
a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. If that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Julia, let's talk about legislative change because the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, is committed to the Respect to Work report and and one part of that is is coming into existence this year and that is the change in the onus and burden on reporting harassment. So as of this year, that burden will fall on the employer to take action to, to eliminate sexual harassment. So can you talk to me about that? How, in theory, does this change the workplace for people? So... In my view, it's akin to the epic law reform we had back in the 80s. In 1984, we had the Sex Discrimination Act, and the Sex Discrimination Act was landmark legislation at the time and certainly made it unlawful for sexual harassment. But a a flaw of that act was that it put the burden on the victim to complain. Now, I'm sure thousands, if not millions, of women during their working life have asked themselves either themselves a question or asked it out loud, should I say something? We know that sexual harassment is clouded. It's clouded by a very perfectly reasonable fear. Women fear for their careers, their livelihoods, their financial well-being, their mental well-being and their and their social well-being. So sexual harassment has been a score. It's just been a sort of the hidden pandemic, if you like, in our workplaces for a long time. Now, in the business world, I saw corporations change and minimise sexual harassment. But the thing that this legislative change will do, it will be so significant and it's all got to be rolled out by the end of this year. And this legislation was crying out to be made, this positive duty on the employer, because it shifts the burden from a woman having to make a complaint and go through all of that to the employer to set up structures which will greatly diminish it happening in the first place. By the time it's fully rolled out, it will be in 2024 because the request and the aim is to have organisations roll it out during 2023 and uh, that will be fully integrated into our law and into our workplaces by 2024 and it's been 40 years of advocacy and work to get to that place. So it's a very exciting reform. Mm, It's a long time, isn't it, 40 years? it sure is. And, you know, while these changes, they do sound good, it does kind of strike you that perhaps something like this should have happened before 2023, that, you know, given what we know about what happens in in almost every workplace in Australia from Parliament House down. I mean, do you have thoughts on on why it's taken us so long to get to this point? And, you know, what's unique about the way that we've kind of grappled with this, grappled with gender equity? Well, I certainly think it would have definitely happened earlier. 
had Morrison not been re-elected. So I think like the rest of the world, the circuit breaker was Me Too in relation to this legislation. And I think it's, it's very exciting. We relied too heavily on the courage of victims to step into the brutal and lonely glare of the spotlight to enforce the law. We cannot allow that to continue. I really believe it's a very exciting development. Kudos to the Albanese government for committing to implementing all 55 recommendations, including this one, which they did at the end of last year. The Jenkins report uh, was an important report. I pay tribute to all those who came forward and gave evidence to that inquiry. And to Kate Jenkins in her report deserves a great deal of credit. We needed that action at the top for it to be fully implemented across workplaces. Uh, that report didn't even receive a response from the former government for more than a year. My government has acted. Today the parliament has legislated and I thank them for it. Sexual harassment is about power and power disparity and gender inequality. We needed that legislative framework to make real change happen and that's what we've got now. Mm. And in terms of cultural change in Australia, do you think that we are beginning to see a shift? I often find myself a bit divided on that question when I look at how women, particularly young women, are talking about harassment and abuse. There is hope, I think, for change. But then when you consider the backlash that often occurs when they do speak, you become less optimistic. So mm. how much of a danger is that, that with something like this, it's going to be one step forward, two steps backwards? Yeah, well, that's a really, really good point because backlash is one of the key things, as we know, that you cop when you're trying to make change. And up until now, we've put this burden on women to tell their stories and or to keep their secrets. We've put that burden on them and that backlash has been felt. And by this legislative framework, by the federal government, it does shift the opportunity for backlash because by putting these requirements on the employer or on the leaders of organisations, it takes away that burden and that's what's so good about it and that's why I'm very hopeful for change because we we know, Ruby, from the Me Too movement, there was a lot more people coming out and talking about it. But equally, there are millions of women who couldn't talk and those women are no less brave. I'd often see leaders you know, in political parties or whatever, saying, oh, we have zero tolerance and you should call it out, not recognising that actually that's a pretty big burden to put on women. You might feel self-righteous that you have zero tolerance, but it's up to you as the person in the position of power to do something that is, you know, constructively going to fix it. Julia, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you.
As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Also in the news today, the man accused of killing Cassius Turvey has appeared in court as the case moves towards a trial for the alleged murder of the 15-year-old Indigenous boy. The accused, a 21-year-old man, allegedly attacked Turvey with a metal pole as he was walking home from school. Turvey died 10 days later in a Perth hospital. Turvey's death sparked national protests. The next court appearance is scheduled for March. And in Victoria, a man is facing court of the alleged double murder of a pair of campers. The court has heard that the campers, both in their 70s, were said to have been having an affair when they encountered the accused. The police allege that a fight broke out and the campers were killed. The Melbourne Magistrates Court is currently deciding whether the police evidence, gathered over more than a year of surveillance, is sufficient to bring the case to trial. The accused has maintained his innocence. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.